welcome back to another edition of Winging It, the official podcast of the Rochester Red Wings. My name is Nate Rowan, and today we have a conversation with Red Wings pitching coach Mike McCarthy. Mike has been with the team for the last two seasons. 2020 was going to be his third year with us here in Rochester, and we chat with Mike about what he's been up to during this whole pandemic situation, how he stayed busy, how he's grown maybe as a coach and a person during this entire time, and then what it's been like being on the younger side in terms of age as a coach at the AAA level. So stick around for that conversation. Josh Wetzel, Voice of the Wings, joins me for that. Before we get into that conversation, I do want to talk about a couple of things. Number one, I was in this week at the ballpark helping the team store get ready for new merchandise. And a lot of that has already been released, but there is a lot of exciting new merchandise at the team store. And I encourage fans to to check it out. You can do that at redwingsbaseball.com. The other thing that I wanted to talk about quickly, and I won't harp on this too much, but I have received a lot of inquiries, text messages, emails, messages on social media from fans, family members, and friends thinking that we may know something about the fate of our season or what's going to happen with Major League Baseball and that we're just not saying anything publicly about the fate of what's going to happen. And I can tell you that that is not remotely true. Uh, The information that we do have, we have shared. And unfortunately, there hasn't been an update in terms of the minor league baseball season and until major league baseball figures out what they're going to do with their season it's almost impossible to expect a decision on minor league baseball until major league baseball figures out what they're doing they can't possibly make a plan for the minor leagues because they don't know what that's going to look like so i promise you that when there is an update whenever it is you can follow the red wings on social media Check out redwingsbaseball.com. We'll post whatever the update is that we're having a season, that we're not having a season, whatever is happening. We promise we'll get it out as soon as the news becomes official. But I can promise you that until Major League Baseball figures out their plan, there won't be a decision on the minor leagues. And I hope people can understand that. It's the simplest way that I can say it and promise fans that we're not withholding anything or trying to hide anything. It's just the reality of the situation. So once Major League Baseball makes their decision, hopefully there can be some clarity on the minor league season and the Red Wings season specifically. Okay, let's get into our conversation with Red Wings pitching coach Mike McCarthy. All right, I'm happy to welcome on Rochester Red Wings pitching coach Mike McCarthy. He's been with the team for the last couple of seasons. He was set to start his third year with the team in 2020. Mac, thanks for joining us. Great to be on. I appreciate you all having me. So what what have you been up to during this whole time where we should have been playing baseball? Uh, Well, it started off with a uh, 10-day cross-country drive back from Florida. Um, and, uh, actually visited my 50th state, which was exciting. Um, got to check that bucket list off, but, you know, give time for uh, a little bit of a quarantine before I come back and see family and my parents are in their sixties. So just wanted to be responsible. But, um, after that, when I got back, we, you know, spent some time, we weren't really sure where baseball was going to go. Um, there weren't too many, there's a lot more questions than answers and, and still probably are, but we had the opportunity to, to start, uh, opening up a little bit, doing some online lessons. We've been doing fundraisers for different charities across the nation um, through those online lessons and then been taking classes on nutrition, social media, uh, just better understanding um, the world around me and reading a lot. Uh, we started doing some uh, training with players and um, getting uh, more work with Rapsodo and uh, physical assessments. And then uh, most importantly, keeping in touch with all the players for the twins and um, continuing to, to help serve their needs um, as they continue to train and do the best they can to stay ready. Uh, Mac, I want to get to some of the baseball stuff uh, later, but I got to find out more about this cross-country trip to Reno. Uh, (laughs) First of all, what was the 50th state you checked off? And then what were some of the highlights of that trip? 
take a shot what the 50th state was i'm gonna guess <laughs> i'm gonna guess mississippi Ooh, okay uh it was oklahoma oh wow yeah and no offense to anybody in oklahoma i uh, uh but it was the last state that i went to obviously there's not it's not a major uh, thoroughfare going to florida or coming back from new york so i uh yeah i checked florida off the bucket list and and as soon as i crossed the line there was this torrential downpour with uh sideways rain so it said welcome to oklahoma um but after about an hour of that i got in oklahoma city and uh, it was beautiful out sunshine and i uh, walked around downtown you know a lot of things were slowed down for that but i uh, really enjoyed uh, uh getting to check that off called my dad and and thanked him for you know the inspiration of taking this out on cross-country drives or long drives when we were kids and seeing the world and just having that um inquisitive nature of the the country it's interesting that most people see the continental 48 states first and then mm. it's hawaii or alaska you know as their last 49th and 50th yeah uh, what uh, brought you to alaska i actually played that? uh that was in 2009 i played summer baseball up there and so i got to play in fairbanks um as part of the alaska collegiate baseball league um and i was there for yeah nine ten weeks um went up and saw like the arctic circle and um, they've got like an ice hotel that I went to, um, went down and did deep, some deep sea fishing, caught some halibut. Um, so really got to experience it. Saw tons of, you know, you know, how I love, uh, being outdoors in nature. So saw plenty of grizzly bears and, um, yeah, we just really enjoyed the, the opportunity to be in the, uh, the last frontier. Did you and plan then, uh, it? I'm sorry, Mike. Did you plan one of those midnight sun baseball games in Alaska? <laughs> we did. And it was overcast. It was perfect. Oh. It was absolutely atrocious. So uh, we did. It starts at like 1030. And uh, we played. Uh, um, we could see the clouds kind of rolling in. And we're like, this is not going to be good. And so sure enough, we're playing. It's kind of, I mean, just that twilight time where you're like, should we be out here? And uh, uh, but it's it really is strange to see the sun barely go below the um, the ridge line of the mountains and then come right back out. Um, and my sister actually was stationed up there in the military. Um, and, uh, she had the same experience. So she had blackout curtains for the summertime. And then in the wintertime, they're just trying to capture any little bit of sunlight they can. It's uh, amazing. Thor, are you staying at your parents' place, Mike? Is that the deal? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My parents are out in, um, Reno, Nevada. Okay. And so I just came out here afterward and, you know, taking out rent and doing those things is always a, a bit of a mess. So. Where, uh, when did they move to Reno? Uh, let's see about, it would have been in March of last year. Okay, cool. Yeah. They finished up the move. They'd been preparing to move for about six months or so. And then when they moved out here, it ended up being, uh, I mean, it's beautiful. They sit, um, outside the mountains and look out on snow capped, uh, Mount Rose and Lake Tahoe is 40 minutes away. So cool. Pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Does that make for like scenic runs and stuff? Yeah, I well, it's, uh, so the house is at like forty eight hundred feet, um, and so when you go up to Lake Tahoe, you're at seven eight thousand feet. Um, so it's just kind of mixed in that regard. Mm -hmm. I mean, but it's a more of a desert climate because you're on that uh, the leeward side of the mountain, and so you get like the more the dry climate. Um, then when you get up into Tahoe, you're in the Sierra Nevadas, and as you start to crest that mountain range, it gets much more, uh, more green, more like evergreen. Um, you know, they get like 400 inches of snow at Mount Rose a year, and then when you come down to Reno, you get like 25 inches a year, even though it's at 4,800 feet, mm -hmm. 4,500 feet. So wow. it does. Like you go up, um, uh, just depends on where you go. Like the Truckee River runs right through town, so there's some really cool places there. Um, mountains are in the background all the time, so. Um, you can also be running past like, you know, the casinos and some homeless areas too. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. it's a, it's a mix. So you see everything you do, you get the, the gauntlet, <laughs> <laughs> but no, the, uh, I mean, having Mount Rose 40 minutes away, I can be trail running at 9,000 feet in, yeah, in 40 minutes. It's pretty incredible. It's cool. So your, your baseball journey has taken you a lot of different places. Do you have any, uh, favorite locations that the game has brought you or just maybe even in your travels even? and why is rochester number one <laughs> <laughs> well starting with number two since rochester <laughs> number one uh you know I've, I've been really fortunate um especially 
you know, through my playing career to go to places like Alaska, to been all over the United States. Um, also through baseball miracles and charity work, we've taught baseball in five continents and um, in what uh, 12 different countries. And uh, so going down, you know, places like Kenya and, and setting, going into an orphanage and um, being able to teach 200 kids baseball and something that uh, people from around the world came to serve them and to give something to them to bring a level of the United or a connection with the United States to their nation, uh, but also to their community and, and that they've built right there and to see this self-sustaining farm that they've built for these orphan children um, and the way that women or people will serve in that space. Um, uh, Kip Kino, uh, his wife, Phyllis Kino runs an orphanage um, there and then they built uh, Kip Kino school. So they have over 400 kids that go to school there and it's in uh, West Kenya. And just being able to be there for five, six days, spend time, you know, washing trucks and, and helping in the, the uh, um, uh, out in their um, livestock and in their dairy and all the things they're doing. So those experiences, I think, are the more human element um, and the opportunity to play baseball, obviously, like to to go into, uh, you know, Fenway Park and go play a game there and um, to sign the inside of the Green Monster and those elements, too. So definitely the gauntlet of uh, experiences I'm really grateful for. Now, as far as the baseball stuff goes, when, uh, when spring training got suspended, uh, minor league camp had not really yet begun yet. Right. I know you were involved in major league camp as well. So what was that like? And uh, what were you guys doing as far as getting the Rochester group together? I know, you know, this year, let's face it, it's a, a kind of an all new coaching staff minus yourself. Had you gotten to know some of those those new guys like Matt Borg Schulte, for example? Yeah. So I've gotten to know uh, all the coaches over the years. Most of them have been with the twins um, for a, a few years now. And um, so our connections remain strong. Sydney was the pitching coach in, in double A last year. Um, so I got to spend a lot of time with him when guys go up and down, um, you know, guys like Matt and, and uh, Gardy, uh, those guys offered opportunities to start to get to know them a little bit better um, them coming over to major league camp and, um, you know, really just bring new um, insight and energy. I was really exciting to meet them um, in a more intimate manner and uh, understand how they coach, the way they view the game, the way they uh, approach players and, and create culture and, um, and provide leadership. So uh, we get to spend a lot of time together. The, the change was pretty quick, right? Like we went from, hey, you know, there's this COVID thing going on. Hey, uh, you know, guys, don't sign. A, um, we're not going to sign autographs to all of a sudden, hey, we're uh, sending everybody home uh, within about five or six days. So it was a, a quick change, and um, we really hadn't gotten much work done um, in terms of games with uh, the AAA group. Um, they were A lot of them were still in Major League camp. So, you know, it was a tough time. We packed up the clubhouse, and it seems like we were mobilized within 24 hours of getting the notice that everybody's going home. And uh, everyone came together. We you know made sure we took care of the players first and helped them to get home, to get where they needed to go, and then, the staff said, okay, let's roll. In terms of dealing with the players, Mac, from the coaching standpoint, just, you know, to make sure that these guys are ready for whenever a call may potentially come that the season is going to try to get going again. What's been the most difficult thing from a coaching perspective? Not having answers, you know, Um, and it's not because somebody has them and we don't, it's because nobody has them. Um, You know, we all are in that space of control the controllables, which is our, uh, you know, kind of a motto that I've I've learned from my coaches over the years, and one I've tried to pass on. It's a you know a bit of stoicism that's associated with it. And for a lot of the players, they're you know they've got questions and um, they've got pay challenges and um, income and families and mortgages and these challenges that they're working through just like uh, everyone else. And um, the there's so many questions that are out there and so many unknowns. Just as you guys have experienced, you know, obviously um, within the state of New York and and being so close to New York City. Um, there's a lot of questions like, man, where's this thing going? What are we doing? How do we handle this? And, and just trying to make sure everybody's safe. So most importantly, we just try to serve them emotionally, um, and, um, uh, make sure their families are right. Let them know we're here to support them, um, to offer any, anything we can. Um, and that's what we do as coaches when we, we coach on the field and we just said, Hey, we're going to take that mentality off the field as well. Um, so different format, different layout, different geographic location, but still the same mentality of like, how do we help these players not just throw better fastballs and, and hit better sliders, but how do we help them, uh, you know, handle family dynamics and travel movements, uh, restrictions, 
um, and everything in between. So, so Mac, when uh, when play got suspended in spring training, that happened as I mentioned way before any minor league teams were identified who was going to be on what. So, are are you actually in touch with some pitchers that you think would have been in Rochester, or even? even guys maybe that would have been on minor league deals that you wouldn't have known before, like a Casey Lawrence or a Ryan Garten, for example? Absolutely. Yeah. So being in major league camp, we have, have exposure to the, you know, 50 or so players that are there, which, um, you know, every year we get a kid, good chunk of those in AAA. So we tried to develop early relationships with those guys. Um, and there's guys like, um, you know, Austin Adams, who was with, uh, Rochester last year, um, you know, made to the major leagues and then, uh, moved on to the Tigers and, um, continuing to develop relationships with him, uh, Alec Asher, Casey Lawrence, guys that, you know, have a chance to break with the team in, in AAA. And, um, uh, the big thing is, you know, we, we have guys, uh, that we know are most likely going to break with us, um, into AAA. And, um, most of those guys that are in major league camp and we want to make sure that we're uh, working with them as much as possible to develop those good relationships. You know, um, coaching starts with trust and it starts with the connection with the player, um, to be able to develop that level of confidence that we not just know what we're talking about but also that we can we're uh, a soft spot to land when things are going awry um, when you're struggling or when something's going on um, so it's a, a holistic dynamic and we've built some really good relationships and continue to develop those um, even through this time um, you know hoping that uh, we get a call uh, tomorrow and then we're on the field I plan to ask this a little bit later Mac but you brought up uh, something that I think uh, kind of resonates when you talked about coaching uh, is all about trust with the player. And when you decided to start coaching and get into coaching, you were on the younger side. And I'm wondering, just being closer to the age of the players that you were coaching, how how was what challenges did that provide to try to gain the trust of players who uh were very close in age <laughs> yeah it was a, a big challenge uh those those aren't easy um especially when you're 30 years old and, and rolling into a you know major league camp and then um made the mistake of shaving so i looked really I'm even younger uh <laughs> i uh um i can still remember being in major league camp and uh one of the first couple of days we're doing pfps and you know, I just asked some advice from different coaches and, um, you know, including Stu and, and, um, uh, the different, you know, people that are there. And I said, Hey, you know, what's, what do you think the best way as a coach to start building relationships? Like, look, just get to know the guys, go out and chat with them, talk with them. Like, don't take the instruction part so serious, but build relationships. I'm like, okay, well I'm out there, you know, trying to meet guys and, and talk with them, get to know them. Uh, sure enough, I'll introduce myself to the same guy twice. You know, I got to do one of those every once in a while. Um, and then, uh, so I'm out behind the mound, you know, we're doing PFPs and I'm talking to the guys. There's a group of, you know, 20 pitchers and we're just still early in camp. Guys are getting their used to spikes again and getting their bodies moving. And, uh, all of a sudden I hear one of the coaches yelling like, Hey, let's go. And I turn around, I'm looking, there's nobody on the mound. I said, Hey, let's turn around and say, Hey, let's go. And then I look and there's a line behind me. And I said, Oh no. And they all thought that I was a player. <laughs> and so I, uh, I realized I needed to do something real quick. So sure enough, I put my stopwatch on next time. I got a fungo that I carry around full time, like really make it clear that I'm a coach, not a 30 uh, year old player still. So, you know, in general, like those relationships are built um, on trust and they, they start with humility. Um, they start with your willingness to be able to ask questions and to get to know somebody before you try to tell them what to do or how to play or um, how to throw a different pitch. Like these guys are professionals have made it to the major leagues or made it to AAA and um, had a ton of experience and um, you know, just like any good industry or, or, uh, or any industry, excuse me, and any good leader, um, you understand that the importance of let me get to know people um, and who they are and develop that relationship before I started to, to provide insider influence into their career. I like that advice with the, uh, the stopwatch looped around one of your, you know, belt loops. That's great advice to, to oh, make yeah. sure they Gotta know you. <laughs> Uh, you just swirling the thing around, make sure everybody knows. It's like a, a beacon. Exactly. Coach, 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 coach. So, so Mac, how is your role this year going to be different? Uh, you were the bullpen coach technically before with Stu Kleiber and the pitching coach. And now this year, kind of two pitching coaches with Sidney Bayo. Do you, do you know how your role was maybe going to be a little bit different this year? Um, you know, the, the interesting part is like over the, the last two years uh, that went from you know, being a bullpen coach for the first month or two um, in 18 to um, being more of a pitching coach. And, you know, we allow, we really segregated the role 
um, between Stu and I, and Stu handled a lot more of the operations and uh, pitch counts and, and decisions on um, relationship with, uh, with Joel on in-game management. Then um, I provide a lot more insight on, you know, data analysis, biomechanics, um, training programs, relationship with the medical staff, things of that nature. And um, it really wasn't going to change too much. Um, we really felt like, you know, Sydney and I offer um, are both very, I think, deep and authentic people. Um, we have an intensity to us that's, um, uh, you know, he's a little more um, colorful in that space. Um, and I'm a little more stoic in nature. But we both have an intensity to us about the game. And um, uh, the nice part is that the role really wasn't going to change too much. Um, you know, it's just building a relationship and saying, hey, uh, let's get to know each other as coaches. Let's also get to know the players. And we fill the needs where we can. But, um, you yeah, know, I think Stu and I worked really well together in that space. Um, we understood each other's strengths. We understood where um, one another had uh, maybe weaknesses. And we did a good job of complimenting on each other. And um, I was looking forward to doing that same thing with Sydney and Obviously, his knowledge of Spanish and um, understanding of building relationships with the Latin players is crucial, um, especially in a, you know today's game. So uh, that was an area that I was growing in a lot, understanding his Spanish. Um, the what's interesting is I learned Mexican Spanish, being uh, or more traditional Spanish, living in California as a kid, and uh, all the way through high school, and then uh, learning Venezuelan Spanish is just a little bit different. <laughs> so there's a few more uh, slang terms and and accents and things of that nature. Definitely a faster pace too. You mentioned, Mac, that you're dealing with a lot of the, the data in the last couple of years. And it seems now just with everything, you know, you mentioned Rap Soto earlier, there's TrackMan data. There's also a ton of a ton of information that really wasn't available, uh, you know, within the last decade or so. How do you balance the amount of data that's out there to trying to convey what you guys are trying to do from the coaching standpoint to try to get it to the player so maybe they're not consuming too much information? Right. Um, you know, not to hammer back on it too much, but uh, one that comes back to that trust we developed, right? The belief that I, I know what I'm talking about, um, but also that the players start to learn and how much is enough, how much is too much. Um, and so their education process is crucial in this, where they start to learn what a carry fastball looks like and what makes them unique. Um, we try to describe that as know yourself, right? And then we look at scouting reports and say, hey, where's this guy's weakness um, for the hitter? And we say that's called know your enemy. And those are two key themes that we really try to, to help the players understand is know yourself, know your enemy. And uh, where that dynamic starts to play out is an understanding of how we apply data. So. I may say, hey, like, let's uh, change your plyo ball program. It's like using weighted balls to throw against the pads you see down the right field line. And um, that almost exclusively could be because of a biomechanical change that we're looking at. Or we're seeing something in the data that says, hey, this guy's cutting the ball a little bit. Let's do a few more pronated patterning throws with a heavy ball to force pronation to help him get out of that supinated position that's causing the ball to cut. A lot of fancy terms for the fact that we just assign, you know, help them understand that. And if they want to know the reason why, great. Um, you know, guys like Aaron Sleggers, who are one of every piece of data that you've got and wanted to sit down for 45 minutes and, and grill you on it. And it was great because he tested us and pushed us to be better. And then there's guys who are like, Mac, just tell me what you want me to do, right? Like Tyler Duffy, just super easy. Mac, I trust you. What do you, what do you got? I'm like, hey, let's throw some more curveballs. <laughs> and uh, so it's just, it's everywhere in between. And uh, the data application is, is really just about knowing the player. If you know them, um, and then you also know your own strengths and weaknesses, right? I have a tendency to talk too much and, and want to over-explain, but that's because that's how I want to be treated as a player. So we try to go both ways. Um, we try to, you know, meet guys where they're at and say, look, how much of this do you want? And then when they say, well, I'm good, just tell me. And we go from there. It's great. You know, Mac, as somebody who tries to pay fairly close attention to this stuff, it amazes me how much technology has advanced just in the last three or four years. I mean, you know, it doesn't seem that long ago that just getting that TrackMan device at the stadium was a big deal. Then Rapsodos come in and the, the high-speed cameras. I don't want you to give away any trade secrets, but were there going to be any technological advances you were excited to work with in Rochester this year, or was it kind of going to be the same as 2019? Well, we were going to bring back the two-way radio um, <laughs> because we can't get the phone to work. <laughs> um you know, nothing, I mean, obviously the Hawkeye stuff is changing the major leagues, um, and that's a big transition, um, understanding how that data is calculated, um, how those numbers converge, um, and we've seen that across the, the board. But um, nothing too drastic and changes. Um, and again, these are, uh, 
we've had this conversation before, but just for the listeners out there, like the use of technology is just a tool, right? It's not, it doesn't replace anybody. Now, one of the big struggles is that we say, well, oh, he's got high spin rate. So then he must be really good or he needs to go do this. Like, well, that's not necessarily true, right? Like we need to look at the spin axis and spin efficiency and these other pieces that, that may make him good or may make him struggle um, because of how we're approaching it. And the, the most important piece in that space is we use technology um, just as we use any tool. And I think that that's a, a key part of this is that there's still a huge art to this, um, even though there's more pieces of science coming into play. So no new technology, uh, just continued and better use of the tools that we have um, and understanding how we can make those uh, the most efficient uh, and effective way of uh, getting them to the players to make them per, uh, help them perform a little better. When you look at those tools, Mac, where is there anything that is currently available now that you wish you would have known more about when you were a player or uh, even would have been around? When Short you were answer a is all of it. <laughs> Long answer is we're going to need a lot more time on a, uh, a longer podcast. Uh, <laughs> I think the biggest thing is I, I look at it and I was taught um, we had rules in place, right? When I was playing in, in the minor leagues that you had to throw 65% fastballs minimum and you had to throw down on the zone with your fastball and you couldn't throw more than 20% of one off speed. And we're throwing all that out the window and we're saying, no, like what makes this guy good? And let's help him use that. Right. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, a car that can go, well, not that I'm advocating for speeding, but say a car that can go 120 miles an hour, you put a governor on it that goes 40. Right. It just doesn't make sense. Why would we take away your strength when your strength is you've got a really good curveball? Well, let's use it. We'll continue to develop the other ones in the background. And I think that's where you're seeing some of the success. Like, um, you know, guys, if you go out and look and you say, well, last year we had the third most strikeouts in AAA, uh, I believe across the board, but the 19th highest fastball velocity. He said, well, why are we punching out so many guys? Why are our guys so effective? Uh, you know, he had our bumps along the road, especially those 40 mile an hour win games. But um, <laughs> he's got PTSD from that, I think, so do the players. But, you know, the and the new ball and the challenges that come with that. But like we're really effective in building our process of saying, how do we create swings and misses? How do we create soft contact? And how do we get guys out without the random chance of the ball being put in play? Knowing that batting average on ball, balls in play sits around 300 for almost every player including Roger Clemens. So those uh, understanding of that as a player would have been really enjoyable because I was, I was smart enough to be able to engage the science. Um, you know, being my background, being in biology, pre-med had offered me the opportunity and I was doing my MBA while I was playing. Like those have been great tools to have. And, and I've had the fortune to engage some of our players who are really knowledgeable in that space and help them understand it and help them be a part of that process and, and grow in their knowledge of it. So, um, yeah, my motto as a coach is uh, uh, be the coach that you never had. And I, I feel like I'm fulfilling a good chunk of that right now. A, kind of a concrete example of you guys uh, maybe changing a pitcher last year that I think really resulted pretty well was Fernando Romero. Now, unfortunately, I know you mm -hmm. get a chance to see Fernando in spring training this year, but uh, could you just talk real quick about that process last year and, and, uh, and how well you thought that worked with Fernando, who really – I mean, changed his arm action. I mean, that's not easy to do during the middle of a season or in a guy's career at all. That was pretty impressive, I thought. Right. And, and just to draw, uh, you know, a similar analogy, like, and obviously in a much different scale, but, you know, you look at a guy like Tiger Woods in the middle of his career and says, I need to do a swing change. You're like, what? You're one of the best players in the world. What are you doing? But he realized in the long term to make him a better player, he needed to make the change. And with Fernando, you know, he had had some struggles and some ups and downs, and we realized – um, we advocate entirely on this, that like a lot of command work and a lot of pitch development comes out of biomechanics, how the body moves is going to help and, uh, influence significantly the way that the pitches are going to move and your ability to, to command the baseball. And we had seen some stuff with Fernando, but it was, he was playing well and you just, you know, when is the right time to help a player make a change and to make that recommendation. And, um, we saw an opportunity to help him make that change. We, um, took, uh, uh, that opportunity and said, Hey, like, let's, let's give him a, um, some help and, and it paid off, you know, numbers wise, like we may not see it in traditional stats, you know, an ERA or, um, anything on those lines, but when we look at what's called like his non-competitive rate, so pitches that are not considered competitive toward the zone, so they can be six inches on either side of the plate. Um, he was much better in that space. We saw fewer misfires, fewer balls going to the backstop. And for a guy throwing hundred miles an hour, that's a big deal. If we can get that guy dialed in even somewhere near the strike zone, with his kind of stuff, he's going to have success. And so 
we really felt like we took big strides forward. Um, and then also the psychological part, right? For him to understand now he's going to have better stuff and the ability to throw strikes um, and to be competitive. He can just go out and pitch as versus to thinking, is there something wrong or what am I doing? His confidence now goes up, which is really exciting as well. Mac, do you think that, 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 that there is a challenge a little bit to try to convince guys that a change is better for their career while the immediate results in terms of traditional statistics may not show Absolutely. up initially? I mean, a huge challenge. Um, and that's why we wait until those opportunities may become available or we have, you know, light conversations early on. You look at a guy like Jake Reed, right? I mean, Jake made a huge slot change last year. And you would say, well, let's go look at the traditional stats. And he got worse um, or like stayed about the same. But then when we look at the underlying stats, he got way better. I mean, massive adjustment. Um, and that put him in a place where he went, he was on, you know, the dialogue or the conversation to um, potentially go to the major leagues. And um, in those conversations on a daily basis, as averse to, um, you know, when he was earlier in the season, may not have been in those conversations right away. So those are the types of guys that you look at and say, wow, this guy's made a change. What a struggle because the stats haven't, um, shown up in the box score, right, in the form of ERA and things of that nature. But when we look at his performance, right, the contact rate, the swing and miss rate, the strikeout rate, I mean, they were astronomically different. And I can remember having that conversation with Jake and showing him the data and saying, look, like, this, this sucks. This is hard, right? And I'm not saying that it's easy for you to be in the spot, but here's what's going on behind the ERA. And that's what all, you know, guys have always known. They've known their ERA, their win-loss record, things like that. And we realize now within modern baseball, there's just a lot of other things that influence that, right? I mean, you can get a loss because a guy booted a ball. And we always say, well, like, ah, I didn't really deserve that loss. Well, let's find a better stat. And so we found better stats that represent, instead of ERA, we take a look at, and we use things like FIP, or we look at um, strikeout to walk ratio, things that are within the pitcher's control that aren't influenced by good or bad defense. And uh, we really, we rely heavily on that technology you're talking about for TrackMan, Rapsodo, um, to offer some of those insights that we can better uh, help this guy perform. Jake Reed, a real fan favorite in Rochester for good reason. Uh, I know you <laughs> did get a chance to see him in spring training. Uh, how did Jake look this year? Oh, I mean, amen to that. Jake's like one of the best people I've ever met in baseball. And, and you know, his influence there in Rochester, um, you know, going out with in the community and working with kids. I mean, you always see him down the line signing autographs and spending time, um, you know, so a phenomenal human being above all else. And, um, you know, as a player, he's uh, um, one of the most talented guys we've ever had the chance to work with and um, an incredible baseball player. He uh, looked really good in spring training. Um, he brought back that arm slot and really felt like he developed some good command with it. Um, we really simplified the process of where's he throwing the ball. Um, and he made some huge mental adjustments to go along with the physical. And um, I was, it's unfortunate the timing of this because Jake looked really good and we were excited to see where that was going to take him this year. Um, we're hopeful that, you know, when we get back on the field, that that continues and he's able to make a, a push for the major leagues and, and uh, help the Twins win. Well, it's as good a time to ever as ever to transition to the stuff that you've been doing off the field, Mac, ever since you came here. I know you right away, it came up to me your first year and said, anything that you need me to do in the community, I'm here to do. You've spent a lot of this time during no baseball of, you know, jumping on Zoom calls, uh, you know, coaching uh, from afar, anybody who needs individual lessons and stuff. This may be a tough question for you to answer because I don't think I've ever asked it like this before. But why is it important for you to give back and to remain uh, involved in the community? Yeah, um, well, I mean, the you know, the not to get into any sob stories or anything like that, but seeing my family struggle as a kid, you know, going through a divorce, going through, um, my mom having alcohol and depression uh, struggles at home and um, uh, just the people that came to my rescue in that space, the people that were willing to stand up and, and to do the right thing and to help, even though they may not have known what was going on in the background. Um, you know, those opportunities that they offered, um, that little, you know, those moments of uh, bright light and picking me up, taking me to practices or, um, you know, saying, hey, you can come over and hang out. And, and you know, they didn't know everything that's going on in the background, but uh, some challenges that we were facing as a family that, um, that, you know, they didn't have to take on, but they did, they stepped up and did the right thing. And they, they, um, um, influenced my life in a way that I can never repay them for, you know, teachers and mentors at school and, and on the sports field and, um, you know, in basketball, baseball, soccer, everything that we were doing, um, was great. So, 
I was really fortunate in that regard. Um, and I just realized that we just don't know what everyone's going through. Um, uh, one of the kids I was doing that I've been doing, um, uh, zoom calls with and, and I found out from his mom that his dad ended up having COVID and went to the hospital, had uh, lung failure and, and went through that exact experience. I had no idea that it was going on in the background. I just was trying to do the right thing and help out. And, um, you know, there's countless stories like that across the nation, people doing far more than I do. Um, but I just feel like if we all do our small piece, um, that we'll leave the world a far better place. And, and I think that's something that, um, I've only been reaffirmed in that belief every year that I've done things. Um, you know, going out and giving high fives for 10 minutes while kids run the bases is one of the easiest things that you can do. And one of the most heartwarming and good feelings you'll have, um, to leave somebody better than you found them. So. I know, Mike, later today you're going to work probably with some kids there in the Reno area. In a weird way, does does working with younger athletes, does that translate at all when you're working with the professional athletes like in AAA? Can, you, can, can that help you in some way? <laughs> we have this conversation actually with the, uh, some of our pitching coordinators and other people, and they're always trying to get me to like dummy down my conversation, right? Like not because it's the, anybody's dumb, but because – there's no reason to speak at this like really complex level. And so one of the big pushes we had this year was how do we simplify things? Like how do we say the most complex thing in the simplest way? And teaching young kids is one of the biggest challenges, right? Like, cause if you start talking about angular velocity of their pelvis and rotational speeds and then external rotation of their shoulder and you're like, they're going to look at you like, huh? Like, can we, can I go play now? Like, you know, they're just, what are you talking about? So we have to help give them drills and put them in positions to adapt and to uh, create those movement patterns to improve, but without explaining all of it, without it being this long, deep 45 minute conversation that I'm known for. And uh, it's great because it, it's me working on my weaknesses um, by going and working on kids, but I'm also leaving people better than I found it. And so that's exactly it. Um, I can still remember I, um, an experience. I don't think, uh, Tyler will mind me sharing this. I, I was like, I had found some stuff. I'm looking, looking at some of Duffy's, uh, count based stuff. I'm like, man, there's a, there's, he's getting hammered in these certain counts and it's because of the pitch usage. I'm like, man, we can make some changes here. And this would really impact him. And so I, you know, I put all this data together and I've got pages of Excel spreadsheets. I've got a highlighter and I'm circling stuff. And I'm, and I walk over, I was like, Hey Duff, you got a minute? And I'm, he's like, yeah, what's going on? So I started walking through all this and then you can imagine having just these massive, it looks like an accountant. It doesn't look like a baseball coach. And, uh, he's like, after a couple minutes, he's like, what do you want me to do? And I said, oh, I just want you to throw a few more like curveballs and, you know, two accounts or, you know, something very simple. And he's like, can you just tell that to me next time? And I'm like, yeah, no problem. And so <laughs> we like simplified it that quick. And that's what you have to do with young kids, right? There's no reason to go down this rabbit hole of, of complexity when you could simplify. So working with young kids has definitely offered that opportunity and uh, it's really helped out a lot. And and Duffy's a rice guy. He's supposed to be one of the smart ones. And he is, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Duff is really smart, but he's he's smart enough to know, hey, give me the simple version. I don't need to know all of that. It's awesome. The, the content of the things that you've been doing have, have ranged from you know instruction specifically with, with younger, younger kids to more complex uh description of you know I, I think about the 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 one video where you were kind of talking about the pitcher's motion and why there was some lag or some drag there but you, has this time to kind of look at that sort of thing or read more ha has it made you or do you think it's made you a better coach yeah you know the initial um look is that there's it's a um an unfortunate circumstance when we look at it like man this sucks and then the challenge immediately given to us by the front office is like, how do we make this a good situation? What's the silver lining and how do we work toward that silver lining? And that's, you know, the time to get better at understanding biomechanics. But also, as you noted uh, just a moment ago, like, how do we simplify? How do we say it easier and simpler? Um, you know, as if we're talking to a 10 year old, because that's how we all should be speaking. We shouldn't be trying to speak to the highest level. We should be speaking to the simplest level. And so this time has really offered me a chance to um, understand how to simmer that down, how to, uh, but also to spend time with family to be able to um, connect with my dad and, and let him be dad again, right? You know, working on cars and, and uh, you know, making a mess in the garage and, um, you know, but just him in his element and those opportunities have grown. Uh, the opportunity to say, hey, like, I need to 
I don't do as good of a job emotionally connecting with players during the season. I need to really focus on that. It's forcing me to use um, text messages and phone calls and um, really diving in with guys over the phone um, to meet them where they're at. And so this this time in general has helped me grow in a way that um, I never realized, uh, one, that I needed to grow in, and two, that I could. Um, but that's what that's what we do. You know, unique opportunities come about and we take advantage of them. And um, I definitely think that we've done that really well, uh, both as an organization, but also myself individually. You brought up biomechanics a few times here, Mac. Do you think that's kind of the, <laughs> is that the next frontier a little bit? You know, it was the TrackMan and Rapsodo data and, and high-speed cameras for a while. It, the, the deeper analysis of biomechanics, is that kind of the next frontier? Yeah, in a lot of ways, it's already here right it's um uh, it's upon us some teams have been doing it really well some teams are really far behind um and then a lot of teams in the middle um and the biggest thing is uh you know how much technology plays in that and then how much of it is an understanding of the way the body moves how much is um uh, uh biomechanics is a fascinating idea right there's certain principles that you can follow there's certain ways you can use uh slow motion cameras and um utilize uh the things that are already at your your um, uh, are readily available. And there's certain things we have to go out and buy a $100,000 program um, and mount it to a stadium. They have to say, okay, now we're into this for a little bit more. Um, and there's everywhere in between. So, you know, biomechanics is a huge part of this. I think rest and recovery um, and how we're treating the holistic player um, besides just the physical of, you know, here's peanut butter and jelly. And you've seen this a lot with the nutrition side, right? Like, hey, here's a sandwich, go get them. Um, that mentality of, okay, well, does that help that player recover? Now is he available to go to the major leagues um, tomorrow or the next day? Can he handle a heavier workload than we've given him in the past? Um, and we start to realize, wow, these things that we can control, we haven't always controlled the controllables. Um, we've left a lot of them up to random chance and whatever the player could afford. And, you know, whether he went to McDonald's or he went to, um, you know, out to get a, a good meal, you know, salmon salad the night before and everywhere in between. So, I think there's a lot of room um, on the medical side um, and the, the body side in that space that we're going to continue to make strides in um, that we're excited about. Um, and the Twins, you know, I've really pushed to be at the forefront of a lot of these uh, uh, improvements. Could you have ever imagined all of this available when you were going through the, <laughs> the minor leagues? It's players? funny you say that because uh, um, my coach in college, which is, you know, I, I, went, I was a D3 player. I mean, for two years, I was didn't have any D1 scholarships, and then I ended up transferring to Bakersfield. I mowed lawns for an entire year. I was the ground screw guy my third year in college, and just you know didn't I wasn't on the radar to do anything. And then um, by the time my senior year came around, I had you know I had a one six ERA and threw a two hitter against Garrett Cole at UCLA, and um, had you know just had a lot of success in that space. But there's a my parents have some photos of, from college, and I was looking at one of me standing next to Bill, and uh, who was my coach there, and. He was, there was no mechanics. There was no look at the body and how it moves. And stuff. it was solely grit, determination, what you're made of. Did you want it bad enough or not? And how hard were you willing to train? And we were out running 5Ks two, three times a week. And, uh, you know, it built a mental um, toughness and a grit to you. It was really unique. And Bill came out of like the Fullerton uh, uh, system and obviously the success that Augie Grito had and, and the Fullerton program in general. So, um it's really interesting to look at how things have changed. You know, the physical side is understood better. And how do we still continue to blend that with that mental toughness um, and the determination, the, the work in the weight room, the work in the training room, uh, the work in the, on the mound, but utilizing different tools through plyo balls and movement patterns and how we help this guy play just a little bit better. And um, now that I look at it, I say, wow, look at all the things that I could have known then that I don't know now or that I, I'm sorry, that I do know now. And looking at us, those are the moments where I say, wow, I'm going to make sure I do everything I can to help every player get to be the best that he can be. And so there's always something to do. There's always something to be working on. There's never a, a dull moment in that space because there's always a space where we can help a guy. Um, but then also managing workload at the same time. You know, we can't, they play 100, and, you know, in AAA, 142 games, 150, 152 days. And it's a heavy workload. And these guys are expected to suddenly like, hey, rain delay. Sorry, you're starting. We need you for three. And they pull out three innings and 50 pitches out of nowhere um, when they maybe haven't pitched in four days or the last two outings have been one inning stint. So, you know, there's a, a true art form to the science. But um, I look at it now and I'm like, man, what I would have given to know some of this stuff. 
Now, in terms of uh, learning stuff, you're, you're obviously a big reader. Do you have any good book recommendations for us? I know you've been reading a lot during this downtime. Yeah, a little one fish, two fish. Um, no, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Um, yeah, I, uh, uh, I have been. And one of the things that I've really tried to do is, is make it purposeful reading. So I, uh, you know, from a, an analytics baseball standpoint, you know, books like MVP machine and smart baseball are great. Um, they really develop the, you know, the, the understanding of where analytics has moved, how the data is being applied. Um, but also I think allows for the pragmatic side, um, you know, growth and things that are like mental discipline and grit, you know, um, when I look at guys like Admiral McRaven, um, you know, he wrote make your bed based on that speech they gave at University of Texas. Um, he wrote sea stories. Um, you know, these guys really have Dan Crenshaw's book fortitude. Um, I mean, just amazing, um, what you're seeing come out of that space, Jocko Willick. I mean, these guys are, are nuts. Um, uh, if you want one, that's crazy. David Goggins book, that dude is, and if you can get the audio book, cause he, it does it like a podcast almost. And what he went through to have been 300 pounds and then turn into a special forces monster. And this guy's still out running like the Moab 140. So 140 miles straight and just the things that he's going through. And you realize the grit and determination, um, that that takes. And, um, you know, some non, like non-traditional, um, athletics books. I read, uh, Mask and Masculinity by Lewis Howes, um, which is really good. Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed. Um, you know, these are all like designed to build a little more emotional intelligence and understanding of, uh, of the world around me. So, um, you know, those are all books I've been, I've been reading over the last say six months or so, and, uh, have definitely, I think grown a lot from my, uh, um, personally, but also professionally, which is great. Mac, one of the things that you've been involved with heavily, I guess, I don't even know when you first started, but it's with baseball miracles and, um, you know, for the people that are unfamiliar with the organization, just explain what the group is. And yeah. So baseball miracles really is hundred percent nonprofit. Um, you know, five, one C three, uh, we help underprivileged kids around the world, get baseball equipment and we do it through, um, you know, fiscal donations and then also equipment donations, um, new equipment, used equipment, um, uh, preferably gently used. Um, but we, we try to not turn anything down and we've had no problem throwing a zip tie on a baseball glove to make it work. Um, and we do that on a regular basis. So, um, it's all, you know, the Red Wings have been amazing in the Rochester community supporting us the last two years and doing equipment drives and making donations. Um, the generosity of people was incredible. And, and, um, I've been fortunate to do that in my, uh, coaching career, my playing career. And, then, um, you know, when I was out, out of baseball for that year and, uh, um, uh, the support that people have to, to get back, to help underprivileged kids get equipment. Um, because those kids may have can't afford a glove. They can't afford an old bat or, um, uh, you know, baseballs or anything like that. The things we take for granted, um, maybe a huge expenditure for that, um, group of people. And, um, so yeah, we've been really fortunate. We've been around the world doing this. Um, but also a lot of stuff domestically, um, we've run clinics and, you know, part of it is just a, a commitment to service that I think is crucial that all of us have. And, um, there are people that are within the baseball community, um, we have, you know, uh, guys that coach in the Indians organization, uh, scouts in the White Sox organization, scouts in the Indians organization, uh, myself, uh, scouts of the Phillies. You know, these guys are just all volunteer and they say, look, like I just have a commitment to service and, and just everybody else does. So I'm really uh, grateful for that group. Um, and we've just we've touched so many lives and, and so many kids um, around the world. You know, we've been to like Yabacoa after Puerto Rico got hit with the hurricane, uh, Hurricane Maria hit and less than a year later, we were bringing baseball equipment in because they all the got washed away. It's all in the ocean somewhere. So tragically, there's, you know, stories that we hear that, um, uh, not to say they become normalized, but you look at it and say, yep, that's why we do it. And we're just reaffirmed in every belief that we're here to serve. And that's our purpose on this earth. Does that experience with Puerto Rico give you, uh, I guess, more optimism to get out of the situation we're in right now in a way, because, I know personally for me, it's kind of tough to have any sort of optimism at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I look at what was going on there and I say, well, we got it really good. Right. I mean, and I say there, not that, you know, Puerto Rico is a part of our nation and, um, but the tragic environment that was created and, um, a friend of mine's a, um, ER physician in, uh, New York city and talking with him, his experience and understanding what he's going through and, and getting more understanding of what's, um, you know, the, the 
individualized experience in the epicenter of, of COVID is tragic. Uh, but also the realization that um, our nation is incredibly powerful and we are determined to find a way through this as we have everything else, right? We Our nation is built on a grit and a, a fortitude that uh, very few uh, nations have, right? You look at past world wars, we look at the determination to to be the very best. And uh, we've done that. And I think we'll continue to do that. Uh, we won't be defeated by COVID, just as we won't be defeated when we know that there's a, a noble and just cause that is uh, needed around the world. And we continue to, as a nation, uh, put forth the best people in the world to be able to do those things. And, and I think we're going to do that exact same thing here. And we're just trying to, within baseball, we realize we're a small piece of that, but we're also going to bring forth that, uh, that mentality to the game. And so when this breaks, we're going to continue to come out, you know, ready to, ready to do the very best we can. And we've done that throughout this, uh, this time. Um, but we're also going to do that um, the moment we get back on that field. Well, Mac, we covered most, I think, all the topics that we were, t- we were hoping to. And, and I know we spent a lot more time than maybe you anticipated. But um, I can't thank you enough for taking the amount of time out of your day that you did to do this. And I hope, uh, I hope to see you soon. Cause if, if, if I see you soon, that means that baseball is, uh, is imminent. So we appreciate the time today and, and good luck with everything is this, uh, thank you. Truly uh, blessed to talk to you guys and, and thank you to the Rochester community, Red Wing fans and, and all you guys do. I mean, you guys mean the world to that community and, and I'm grateful to be a small piece of that. Thanks Mac. Take care guys. All right. I want to thank Mike and Josh for joining the podcast this week. Once again, I encourage all of you to follow us on our social media accounts at Rock Red Wings, R-O-C Red Wings. That will be the place that has the most up-to-date information as well as redwingsbaseball.com. You can also send us emails if you have questions to info at redwingsbaseball.com. Once again, my name is Nate Rowan, signing off this week. We'll talk to you next time on Winging It. Let's all give a